is there anything more lovable than, you know, a nice French Chardonnay and a Golden? Not really. (laughs) If you are anything of a wine connoisseur, you know that salmon pairs wonderfully with a full-bodied white wine, perhaps a Bordeaux, or that Cabernet Sauvignon goes great with aged cheddar or steak. But what wine would you pair with a Maltese or a German Shepherd? Well, certified sommelier Michel Gargiulo has the answer. Hello, I'm James Jacobson. Welcome to The Long Leash. Today on the show, a fun episode because we are talking with a certified sommelier who says that sometimes wine is taken far too seriously. Michelle Gargiulo wants to sprinkle some joy into the winery world. And she did so by writing a book called Pairing Paws. Wines and dogs both have distinctive personalities, and in her book, Michelle uses her extensive knowledge of wine to best pair the two. Michelle Gargiulo, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for having me. So one of the things that I have noticed in my years of working with dog lovers, and of course being a dog lover, is many of them, and many of our listeners, are foodies. And kind of like, you know, a little wine to go with that food. Oh, and yeah. And so this is a perfect book to talk about. How did you come up with the idea of pairing dogs and wine? And are you serious about it? Oh, I'm definitely serious about it. So I'm a sommelier. That is my trade. I'm a certified sommelier through the Court of Master Sommelier. I'm a certified specialist of wine through the Society of Wine Educators. I'm an executive bourbon steward through the Steak and Thieves Society, certified sake advisor through the Sake School of America, and I am a WSET diploma student. Okay, so if, if we saw you in one of those fancy French restaurants of your, you would have chains around your neck and buttons around your lapel and everything. So many pins. So many pins. We know you're credentialed <laughs> when it comes to wine. But wine and dogs, and are you serious? So serious. So this whole idea really came about during COVID. Ah. I went from working three jobs. I was the sommelier at the Four Seasons at John George. I worked the floor there selling wines. Uh, I was a whiskey guardian for Angel's Envy. It's essentially a brand ambassador for the bourbon. Mm -hmm. And I taught classes at Montgomery Culinary Institute. And it went from like kind of run, 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 do, do, do to everyone. I mean, we all had the same experience where suddenly we were on the couch. And that's pretty much all we did for, you know, at first it was just a week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, five weeks. And time just kept moving on. And it was just me and and my tiny dog, Riesling. (laughs) <laughs> what, what kind of dog is Riesling? She is a Yorkie poo. She's right here. Okay. She, uh, <laughs> there she is. This is Riesling. Okay, so Riesling and you and COVID were the inspiration behind this. Yes. So you were sitting around drinking a bottle of wine with Riesling and said, I have this crazy idea for a book. <laughs> it was more like I would every day get out of bed and 
you know, wait until an acceptable time, so 2 p.m., to open up a bottle of wine. Is that the acceptable time as, as a professional COVID, sommelier? Yeah, okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, there we go. It must be five somewhere. No, no, it must be two o'clock somewhere. Exactly, okay. two o'clock. You've got the three hour time difference in the sommelier zone. I get it. I like it. So I would have a few glasses and then I would tell Riesling what kind of Riesling she was that day based off of her attitude. Mm-hmm. So sometimes she had an attitude. And was being snippy. So I don't mean that literally. I just, she doesn't bite. But she had an attitude. And uh, as sometimes Yorkies can get. Right. And I would be like, oh, you're completely dry today. You're bone dry. You're trucking <laughs> Riesling. And then other days she would be so cuddly and sweet. I'd be like, yeah, you're definitely like hitting those sweetness levels. You're probably like a trucking beer in Auslacen, like a, a really sweet dessert wine Riesling today. Okay. <laughs> a little German, a little French. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. So you you started just this was basically murmurings between you and your dog, and that yeah. was the genesis of this. Okay. Yes. And then when did you think you know what people might actually be interested in this? One of my friends actually had said like, oh well, obviously Riesling is paired with Riesling, but what about like my German Shepherd? What what is that? Hmm. And then it kind of evolved into. Okay, tell me a little bit about your German Shepherd's personality. And then I was like, well, you know, most dogs actually have characteristic traits you can find based off their breeds. They're they're bred because of those things. Right. So then I kind of started, I went down the rabbit hole and I spent a day reading about all the different dog breeds and their traits and characteristics. And I was like, this would be fun. There is nothing like it out there. Definitely no one is pairing wine. I will agree with you when I encounter this book. A friend of mine, a relative of mine in Philadelphia, told me, have you heard about this? And I was like, "Mm, that doesn't sound. And then I checked out your book and I thought, she's serious. This is the real thing. Oh, yeah. So, but, but. Do tell me, Michelle, that you spent more than a day studying the personality of dog breeds. Oh, yeah. No, that was just the inspiration. And I was was like, I can do this. I definitely spent yeah. a lot longer than that. There is a lot of Googling and, you know, you go, there's so much sex to learn about the different dog breeds. And I've always loved dogs. You know, I grew up with a poodle, a couple of poodles, and then Riesling. And a poodle is paired best with? Oh, my goodness. So I, I did do a pretty classic wine for poodles. My poodle was not super warm and fuzzy. Some of them are. But the ones that I had grown up with were not. Mm-hmm. So this one I had actually done a Richard Bocking Rosé from the Mosul. Mm-hmm. It's basically, it's a wine that's really fun. It's not made every year. And it really depends on the weather and other natural factors. Like they have a lot of wild hogs in the region that come through and will eat all the grapes off of the vines if they get the chance. I mean, funnily enough, a lot of those regions in Europe that do have those wild hogs, they have really big dogs in the vineyards that try and keep those wild boar out. Wow. Okay. So we'll use the German Shepherd as an example in this vineyard from Germany. Did you contact the winery when you when you had this idea that I am going to pair a German Shepherd with this wine? <laughs> or did they not even find out about it until they listened to this podcast? 
probably most of them didn't find out about it until they listened to this podcast. I did send emails after the book came out. Yeah. A few wineries responded and they were like, that's so cool. And then <laughs> they were really excited. Other wineries I didn't hear from. I probably will never hear from. Some of the, the higher end places are probably like, she paired my wine with a dog. <laughs> I was going to say, so what is the most expensive, most cherished wine that you feature in your book and what dog is it paired with? It probably actually that German Shepherd mm. is going to be the most expensive. And it was a, a first growth in Bordeaux. So there's only five of those types of vineyards, those, yeah. those first growths. And it was Chateau Aubriand. So it's also one of the first wineries. Well, historically, it was, you know, a restaurant that started serving its own wine. And we're talking about like centuries ago. Mm -hmm. So they've been around for a long time, definitely have their reputation very well, you know, at hand. But um, yeah, I, I don't expect them to ever reach out to me and be like, oh, thanks for pairing my wine with a dog. <laughs> <laughs> so what are some of the more common breeds slash wine combinations that, that you have paired? So I did... In total, there's 57 different dog breeds. Yeah, and it's a beautiful book. And obviously, this is an audio, but it is a beautiful book with fantastic photos. And it's actually quite thick. I thought it'd be a lot thinner than it is. There's a lot of depth <laughs> to the book. So the 57, and because the, there's a two-page spread. Yes. So every dog, it did take me the, the full, like, two and a half years to track down all the breeds. I use mostly shelter dogs. Mm -hmm. I am donating half the profits to animal shelters in the area. So on the left side of the page, it is the photo of the dog. And then on the right side, you have all of the lettering and the explanation. And it goes alphabetically as well. So I've got, you know, your golden mm -hmm. retriever is paired with like a, a classic Chablis, a Grand Cru Chablis. Is there anything more lovable than, you know, a nice French Chardonnay? And a golden, not really. <laughs> I'm going to agree with you. And I, and I, as someone who appreciates old, I'm not a big fan of domestic wine. And yeah. as someone who appreciates old vine wine, I liked how many European wines there were. But you do have some American wines in there. I definitely do. There are a lot of really great wines everywhere. Great wines are made globally. But it was fun. And I felt a lot of the wines just kind of went with the personality. You know, I've got a great Pyrenees paired with Herman Stories, Milk and Honey. That's a, a winery based out of Paso Robles, California. It's definitely a fun wine. I've got Irish Setters with Frog Sleep, Zinfandel, Napa Valley. I do have definitely a good spread of domestic in here. But then I've got some like super off the beaten path wines that are from like Portugal and things that are a little harder to even find, but if you find them, they're like $8 a bottle. Not super expensive. <laughs> now you're talking. Yeah, yes. I like that. So <laughs> it, it's wines of all price tags and all regions to kind of match dogs. Exactly. All regions, yeah. Did you get some feedback from other sommeliers prior to putting the book together? So sort of. I had told a few of them the idea. Most of them laughed. And took it not very seriously. Yeah, you got to start late. You, you got to start later in the day, Michelle. Too is too early. <laughs> I yeah. know, I know. Some of them were like, "That's so weird. How do you pair a wine with something that's not food?" And I was like, "Well, you do it. It's personality and traits. It's the same thing that you do with food. It's just mm -hmm. you're not eating it." 
And I did actually have one someone who kind of like laughed. And then I said like, okay, what about a golden retriever? What wine would you pair with it? And he said, I don't know, a Chardonnay. And I said, and that's what I paired with it. Bingo. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I have to ask as a Maltese lover, what does a Maltese get? A Maltese. So the Maltese I actually did with an Azores wine company, Arinto dos Ecores. So it's actually probably one of those grapes that no one has really heard of, but it's super cool. Those vines are actually grown on old volcanic soil. And I don't mean like when people say, yeah, we have old volcanic soil. I mean, the grapevines are growing inside of hard magma. It's not ground up. It's not soil. It's just rock. They're growing on top of this rock. And it, it lends this crazy minerality to this white wine that's so bright, but it's also like super saline, very mineral. And it has this structure to it that's almost Chardonnay-esque because of that terroir. And where's it? Where, it's where, Portugal. Yeah, it's off the coast Portugal, of okay. Portugal. It's okay. on an island called Pico, but it's right off the coast of Portugal. And it's really a kind of wine that you don't experience very often. It has a little bit of smokiness to that like volcanic soil and i gotta find this wine I, yeah. we're, i'm going to i'm going to because I, I live on an island in the middle of the pacific ocean so it's kind of hard to sometimes get you know but i will look hard to find that wine and verify if uh it is reminiscent of, of maltese oh yeah things in the book are like this wine like the maltese is easy to fall in love with but only after an initial warming up phase mm -hmm. that minerality can be shocking so <laughs> You know, both of them kind of have that that in common. We're not all Maltese's yeah. will fall in love with you right away. Yes, I would concur with that. And every Maltese I know has definitely been like that. But once you do, boy, this may turn out to be my favorite one. So the photos, where did you get these amazing dogs and, and who took those great images? Um, her name is Amanda, Amanda Jaff. She does photography for Street Tales Animal Rescue in Philadelphia. So she normally takes photos of the dogs to put on the website so that people can see this dog came in the shelter, it's available. And when I had reached out to her about it, I said, you know, I, I know your, your work with the shelters. I know that you take really gorgeous photos of dogs. And I know that dogs are harder to photograph than people, for sure. Maybe on the same level as toddlers, where they just have zero attention span and are jumping around. Mm -hmm. And especially if you're talking about some of these are either in the shelter still or recently out. Mm -hmm. So you've got the fear factor, the animals are afraid, or it's jittery or it can't be around other dogs. So Amanda at um, her studio is called Love You Too because her main gig is wedding photography, which is Love You Do, but her dog photos are Love You Too. Was it hard to persuade her to participate in this book? Not really, no. She's an animal <laughs> lover. She had a lot of fun doing it, too, just like I did. And it's funny because, you know, sometimes some of their, their personalities really come through, some of these animals. And then sometimes they look so happy and serene in the photos. Mm -hmm. And then it, the real life was not that at all. And you're like, how did you manage to make that dog look like it was sitting and happy? It was like terrifying and cowering in real life the whole time. And so let's talk a little bit about the book itself. Is This is something that you self-published, right? Uh-huh, it sure is. And had you ever published a book yourself? No, no. This was a, a very brand new adventure for me. So I had 
started writing the book, you know, it, it took months to write and research and, yeah. and then your wheels are spinning and you're excited by your new idea. And I had reached out, Amanda took photos of, you know, a few dogs. I think I found like four immediately. And then, um, and then I started the long process of Googling, how do you actually publish a book? And the most step for traditionally published books is you find yourself a literary agent and then those agents will query and pitch your book to publishers. It's a lot harder than it sounds because you actually need an agent that cares about your idea. And I probably queried maybe 600 agents. 600. Okay. Yes. I used to set the goal. I would query for an hour a day. And I did that. And I, sometimes I would be able to send out as many as 20 queries in a day. But, I mean, it was long, a long process. I did have actually two people who, um, literary agents who were interested in the book out of the 600. One of them dropped me within a few months saying she had taken too many projects on because of COVID. Mm. Understandable. Everyone was at home writing. Mm -hmm. And then the second one, actually, we got to the stage where she pitched 12 of the major publishing houses and all of them rejected the book. They said, you know, it was too out there. It was very abstract. No one would understand dogs and wine. No one's eating their dogs. So they're not sure what the point is. Someone else said they didn't really care for it because they were mostly rescue dogs. So not all of them look perfect. They're not perfect definitions of the breed and and things like that. And I kept trying to say, well, that makes it better because life isn't perfect. <laughs> Neither are dogs. Trust me. I know very few people who's like, oh, I would change zero things about my dog. I mean, yeah. I wouldn't change the characteristics of Riesling, but every once in a while, I would like it if she could, you know, verbalize she needs to go outside a little bit better. <laughs> <laughs> that is for another show, Michelle. Okay, so you decided... When your agent couldn't find a publisher, what did your agent tell you to do? She basically said, we could try again in a year. Yeah. We could query again in a year. That's the time that those people in the publishing industry takes to normally turn over. They'll forget your idea. Maybe <laughs> it'll be better suited then. And I kind of was like, I don't really want to wait for another year. You know, it's, it's been a process already. I, I feel like I, I have come, come so far. So actually... The inspiration for, for self-publish came from my boyfriend at the time, who um, this book was actually dedicated to. He uh, passed away in, in December, but he was a big motivator. He pushed me for self-publishing. I said, you know, it's so much extra work. It's so much extra. You have to hire editors and layout people and file for copyrights and ISB numbers and and he was like, yeah, but you already did most of the work anyway. And as soon as you get a traditional publisher, they have most of the say in how everything is done anyway. So mm -hmm. you have this very specific idea of what you wanted. So it just makes sense to self-publish. So, you know, I did. I, I did all the things. I found the editor, filed copyrights. And, you know, I, I think it was more rewarding because of that. And it's a beautifully designed book. Many self-published books that I have seen are not that beautiful. And it's well-packaged. So I don't know if, if you must have gotten a book designer involved as well. I definitely did. I had like, yeah. they were super helpful in saying that on the back, I created the LLC Sommelier Stories Press. Yeah. So that it looks more official. I made mm -hmm. myself its own logo. 
That way it's not like published by Michelle Gargiulo. It doesn't look as <laughs> yeah. cheap. And again, like this book, they're all beautiful photos and it was fun designing it. And I didn't want it to look cheap. It spent, I spent a lot of time on it. I spent a lot of mm-hmm. effort on it. I wanted it to really feel that way. And how has the reception been? It's been really good. So actually within 24 hours of it being live on Amazon, it was ranked number one in new releases in wine, in dog breeds, in plant and animal photography, and in alcoholic spirit. Wow. Okay. Yes. And are you still getting traction? Yeah, I sell at least one book every day. Yesterday, seven. That's awesome. Day before, 11. No rhyme or reason. At this point, it's now being bought by people I don't know, which is cool. At first, I feel like... <laughs> At first, I feel like it's like... It's just my friends. Yeah, it's my friends. It's my mom yeah. buying like 50 yeah. copies herself, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> but the, now it's like people that I don't know, which is really exciting. And in terms of it being more you know, widely received by the wine industry, have you explored that? So uh, it's interesting. So the wine industry is, is very niche Some of it is, you know very proper. And that's part of the wine service. It's Mm -hmm. the service aspect of it is still very proper. You know, you're not a sommelier, you're coming over and you're throwing down a glass of wine on a table and you're like, here, drink this. Mm -hmm. That's not, you know, that's not what it is. So it is still very, um, kind of out there. I did have, again, some of the wineries were, were really excited by the idea and they posted on Instagram and they were like, look, our, our wine's in a book with a dog. And they thought it was super cool. <laughs> so the original email I had sent out was just like, hey, I'm just letting you know. I did talk about your wine. It's in this book. And then a few of them responded. And they were like, what's the dog? You didn't say what the dog was. <laughs> you have to buy the book to find out. I know. <laughs> That's great. Well, this is the perfect time for us to take a quick break. But when we come back, we will hear more about Michelle's inspiration for self-publishing and surviving the loss of a loved one. We'll be right back. And now, a message from your dog. Oh, every day with you is like a day at the beach. And I want as many beach days as possible. I want to run. I want to sniff. Ooh, I want to find a good stick to carry. I want to roll in the grass and warm my belly in the sun. I want to walk with you, run with you, sleep with you, eat with you. And when I eat with you, I want ever pop. The green, grassy beef liver smell wakes my senses. You may not realize this, but it tastes like homemade gravy. It infuses any food you give me with healthy life vibrancy. Oh, I can feel it. Ever pop traveling to every cell in my body, nourishing each one. I'm so grateful to be your dog and for the ever pop you give me. So now that you know what your dog wants, get Everpup, the ultimate dog supplement. Everpup is available in select pet shops and on Amazon. But to get the best price possible, join the Everpup Club at everpupclub.com, where you'll get your first jar for just $8 with free shipping anywhere in the U.S. Go to everpupclub.com and use the discount code DPN. That is everpupclub.com. Everpup.com. 
every day. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome back. Well, one of the things that sommeliers are awfully good at doing, from my <coughs> experience, is they're awfully good at selling. I mean, yeah. that seems to be, it, is that actually part of the sommelier training, or do you just learn it? by you know <laughs> on the floor so you definitely learn it on the floor you learn how to be a lot better mm -hmm. at it on the floor but it is in a way a part of their the testing process mm. especially when you look at like the court of master sommeliers they have service as one of the three parts for the exam and you have it's a mock exam so you have a master sommelier sitting at the table pretending to be a guest and they're asking you know what's the difference between this and this and this and this and um you know, you definitely learn how to sell wine in a way that's very ethical, too. Like, I'm not trying to push a $1,000 bottle of wine on someone whose budget was, you know, 100 bucks. That's not mm -hmm. what it is. There's great wines at every price point mm -hmm. in this world. Really, there are. And I think selling, you're selling an experience. You're making the food taste better with the wine. You're making the wine taste better with the food. But at the end of the day, those people, when they remember the experience, they remember the people that they were around. They remember the maybe couple of bites, but they remember more than anything how they felt that night, how they experienced the whole thing. And that was also kind of part of the inspiration. You know, this book, it makes people smile. It's an experience. It's not something most people are used to. It's like people try all these different things, eating in the dark because it accentuates your other senses. And, right. you know, people are out for experiences. I want to feel good reading a book. I don't want to close my book and then be like, well, that was a terrible ending and, and life is hard enough. I, I want to smile. I want to laugh. I want to have fun with it more, more so than than people do. Well, that is actually what I appreciated about your book because I do like wine and over the years people have, you know, here's a wine book and, and I don't read them because they're just dense and too not like, okay, I, mm. but yours, I was interested in because, you know, you were <clears throat> leveraging something that I already had a deep passion and love for. And I was like, what is going to be with a golden dude? Oh, of course. And so you made wine education a little bit more accessible and I'm going to discover more about this Portuguese wine. Yeah. And, and so that is a leverage. And again, you, you know, are taking a pretty, perhaps overly serious subject. I mean, we could talk for a long time about how sommeliers maybe take themselves a little too seriously. Would you agree? Yeah. Um, there are still those out there that do. It's a shame. It is because yeah. wine is meant to be fun and there's a disconnect. Most of the growers, most of the farmers, they're just that. They're farmers. They're excited about their wine. Yeah. They're passionate. They're like, this is so fun. And then sometimes it gets lost in translation, <laughs> the fun of it. 
I couldn't agree with you more. And and then it becomes a little too serious and and sober, if that's the right word. And uh, <laughs> but you are helping to bring the fun back to wine. And so this is an awesome book. And again, the proceeds benefit, from what I understand, a pretty unique canine charity. Yeah. So there's a few different ones. I couldn't pick just one. So I'm going to rotate around. One of them is Alpha Bravo Canine. And what is Alpha Bravo Canine? It's a local organization that actually trains service dogs for veterans with bad PTSD. Hmm. It is very near and dear to my heart. My previous boyfriend who inspired the self-publishing, he was a veteran with PTSD. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's a wonderful job that they do. And, you know, not all the dogs make it. It's one of those service dog training. They're expensive to train. And um, sometimes they just end up as someone's really expensive, well-trained house dog. <laughs> I have to ask, and, and if you open to sharing this, I'd love to hear a little bit more about how your boyfriend inspired the book. And there must be a story there. Yeah, there definitely is. He um, said so he was a veteran with bad PTSD. And um, actually, it was in December, December 8th, he he killed himself. He um mm. he shot himself in the head. Um, actually, I was there. He uh, he did it in front of me. So I also have bad PTSD. Mm. And it was during the self publishing process. So it was. It is part of my story. You know, it is a part of the book too. It. I had come so far with it. I had almost all the photos. I had, you know, it was edited. It was this. It was that. Um, and we were looking at, you know, another another round of editors that night, actually. And, you know, he kept saying, you know, it's just better to self-publish. And that night I went to sleep and he, a few hours later, picked up a shotgun. And, uh, and that was the end for him. But um, oddly, in this book, it gave me something that was cheerful and bright and delightful and innocent to keep going with and to hold on to. And I think that PTSD, especially with the Alpha Bravo canine, is something that's very difficult. And um, you can't look at someone and, and see what they've been through. And that's part of, you know, my dog, Riesling. She's been very good with it since then, you know, and she was there that night, too. It was it was just me and her. I mean, it was the three of us. And then it was just the two of us very quickly. Um but it it's a lot deeper. This this book meant a lot more to me because when I started writing it, I was a completely different person. And it kind of gave me purpose to keep moving forward and keep moving on. And I think that's something that a lot of people who suffer from PTSD, they're stuck in the past and they're stuck in the trauma and the moments that that are shocking. And your brain does that. It's hardwired to you, but it's also been just really therapeutic too. And I mean, I've heard all the dog stories over the years, you know, I've seen people sent me before and after pics when I got them now. And it's just so inspiring. It's so happy and sweet. I've cried tears of joy looking at these dogs, these happy, innocent animals that, you know, were pulled out of a meat factory. The Shiva Inus came from a meat factory in Korea. And you're like looking at their silly faces and you're like, look how happy they are not to be dinner. Um, but it, 
it was part of the whole project, the gentleness of it, the, the innocence of the whole project. How has Riesling been a comfort to you through this experience? She's in everything. <laughs> really, she, she has been. Yeah. She was there, you know, when, when we were stuck in that tiny apartment during COVID. And mm-hmm. she was literally, quite literally, the reason I had to get off the couch to let her outside for the fresh air. And, and after, you know, after my boyfriend died, she was kind of the same. Riesling doesn't care that I don't feel like getting out of bed that day. She still has to go <laughs> poop and chase random animals and bat around a spider until it's dead. And she's been, I can't express how important I think it is that we have these connections with our dogs, that, that we really, we become better people by being animal people. That is such a touching story. I am so glad you shared it. Thank you so much. Pairing Paws, Dog Breeds and Their Wine Spirits. It's an awesome book. Thanks for being with us today. Well, that is all we have time for on today's episode. I had so much fun learning how to pair dogs with wine, and I hope you enjoyed it too. If you did, please tell a friend or two about the show. And maybe even leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. You can get all of our back episodes on our website, which is longleashow.com. If you're interested in purchasing Michelle's book, we have a link to that in today's show notes. And if you know someone who might be a great guest for the show, well, let us know. You can tell us by going to our website. Again, that is longleashow.com and getting in touch with us there. I'm James Jacobson. On behalf of all of us here at Dog Podcast Network, I'd like to wish you and your dog a very warm aloha. Cheers. Is artificial intelligence going to change veterinary medicine? Well, it already has. Right now, on Dog Cancer Answers, we're speaking with Dr. Kelly Deal of Morris Animal Foundation about how AI is impacting veterinary research and the practice of medicine itself. That's on Dog Cancer Answers. Get it wherever you get your podcasts or at dogcancer.com slash podcast.